Dreams of Silver, Chapter 6, Sky Ponies Black-haired barbarians, screaming in the frenzy of battle, burst into the cops. Drizzt realized at once that these burly warriors were the forms he'd seen moving behind the Orkin ranks on the field, but he wasn't yet certain of their allegiance. Whatever their ties, their arrival struck terror into the remaining orcs. The two fighting Drizzt lost all heart for the battle, a sudden shift in their posture revealing their desire to break off the confrontation and flee. Drizzt obliged, assured that they wouldn't get far anyway, and sensing that he, too, would be wise to slip from sight. The orcs fled, but their pursuers soon caught them in another battle just beyond the trees. Less obvious in his flight, Drizzt slipped unnoticed back up the tree where he left his bow. Wolfgar could not so easily sublimate his battle lust. With two of his friends down, his thirst for orcan blood was insatiable, and the new group of men that had joined the battle cried out to Tempus, his own god of battle, with a fervor that the young warrior could not ignore. Distracted by the sudden developments, the ring of orcs around Wolfgar let up for just a moment, and he struck hard. One orc looked away, and Aegis Fang tore its face off before its eyes returned to the fight at hand. Wolfgar bore through the gap in the ring, jostling a second orc as he passed. As it stumbled in its attempt to turn and realign its defense, the mighty barbarian chopped it down. The two remaining turned and fled, but Wolfgar was right behind. He launched his hammer, blasting one from life, and sprang upon the other, bearing it to the ground beneath him, and then crushing the life from it with his bare hands. When he was finished, when he'd heard the final crack of neckbone, Wolfgar remembered his predicament with his friends. He sprang up and backed away, his back against the tree. The black-haired barbarians kept their distance, respectful of his prowess, and Wolfgar could not be sure of their intentions. He scanned around for his friends. Regis and Brunner lay side by side, near where the horses had been tethered. He could not tell if they were alive or dead. There was no sign of Drizzt, but a fight continued beyond the other edges of the trees. The warriors fanned out in a wide semicircle around him, cutting off any routes of escape. But they stopped their positioning suddenly, for Aegis Fang had magically returned to Wolfgar's grasp. He could not win against so many, but the thought did not dismay him. He would die fighting as a true warrior, and his death would be remembered. If the black-haired barbarians came at him, many, he knew, would not return to their families. He dug his heels in and clasped the warhammer tightly. Let us be done with it, he growled into the night. Hold, came a soft but imperative whisper from above. Wolfgar recognized Drizzt's voice at once and relaxed his grip. Keep to your honor, but know that more lives are at stake than your own. Wolfgar understood then that Regis and Brunner were probably still alive. He dropped Aegis Fang to the ground and called out to the warriors. Well met. They did not reply, but one of them, nearly as tall and heavily muscled as Wolfgar, broke rank and closed in to stand before him. The stranger wore a single braid in his long hair, running down the side of his face and over his shoulders. His cheeks were painted white in the image of wings. The hardness of his frame and disciplined set of his face reflected a life in the harsh wilderness, and were it not for the raven color in his hair, Wolfgar would have thought him to be one of the tribes of Icewind Dale. The dark-haired man similarly recognized Wolfgar, but better versed in the overall structures of the societies in the Northland, was not so perplexed by the similarities. You are of the Dale, he said in a broken form of the common tongue. 
beyond the mountains where the cold wind blows? Wolfgar nodded. I am Wolfgar, son of Bjornagar of the tribe of the elk. We share gods, for I too call to Tempest for strength and courage. The dark-haired man looked around at the fallen orcs. The god answers your call, warrior of the dale. Wolfgar's jaw lifted in pride. We share hatred for the orcs as well, he continued. But I know nothing of you or your people. You shall learn, the dark-haired man replied. He held out his hand and indicated the warhammer. Wolfgar straightened firmly, having no intentions of surrendering, no matter the odds. The dark-haired man looked to the side, drawing Wolfgar's eyes with his own. Two warriors had picked up Bruner and Regis and slung them over their backs, while others had recaptured the horses and were leading them in. "'The weapon,' the dark-haired man demanded. "'You are in our land without our say. Wolfgar, son of Bjornagar. The price of that crime is death. Shall you watch our judgment over your small friends?' The younger Wolfgar would have struck then, damning them all in a blaze of glorious fury. But Wolfgar had learned much from his new friends, Drizzt in particular. He knew that Aegis Fang would return to his call, and he knew, too, that Drizzt would not abandon them. This was not the time to fight. He even let them bind his hands, an act of dishonor that no warrior of the tribe of the Elk would ever allow. But Wolfgar had faith in Drizzt. His hands would be free again. Then he would have the last word. By the time they reached the barbarian camp, both Regis and Bruner had regained consciousness and were bound and walking beside their barbarian friend. Dried blood crusted Bruner's hair and he'd lost his helm, but his dwarven toughness had carried him through another encounter that should have finished him off. They crested a rise and came upon the perimeter of a ring of tents and blazing campfires. Whooping their war cries to Tempos, their returning war party roused the camp, tossing severed orc heads into the ring to announce their glorious arrival. The fervor inside the camp soon matched the level of the entering war party, and the three prisoners were pushed in front to be greeted by a score of howling barbarians. What do they eat? Bruner asked, more in sarcasm than concern. Whatever it is, feed them quickly. Regis replied, drawing a clap on the back of his head and a warning to be silent from the guard behind him. The prisoners and horses were herded into the center of the camp, and the tribe encircled them in a victory dance, kicking orc heads around in the dust and singing out in a language unknown to the companions, their praise to Tempus and to Uthgar, their ancestral hero, for the success this night. It went on for nearly an hour, and then... All at once, it ended, and every face in the ring turned to the closed flap of a large and decorated tent. The silence held for a moment longer before the flap swung open. Out jumped an ancient man, as slender as a tent pole, but showing more energy than his obvious years would indicate. His face painted in the same markings as the warrior's, though more elaborately. He wore a patch with a huge green gemstone sewn upon it over one eye. His robe was the purest white, its sleeves showing a feathered wing whenever he flapped his arms out to the side. He danced and twirled through the ranks of the warriors, and each held his breath, recoiling until he had passed. "'Chief?' Bruner whispered. "'Shaman,' corrected Wolfgar, more knowledgeable in the ways of tribal life. 
The respect the warriors showed the men came from a fear beyond what a mortal enemy, even a chieftain, could impart. The shaman spun and leaped, landing right before the three prisoners. He looked at Bruner and Regis for just a moment, then turned his full attention upon Wolfgar. "'I am Valak High Eye,' he screeched suddenly. "'Priest of the followers of the Sky Ponies, the children of Uthgar!' "'Uthgar!' echoed the warriors, clapping their hatchets against their wooden shields. Wolfgar waited for the commotion to die away, then presented himself. "'I am Wolfgar, son of Bjornigar, of the tribe of the Elk.' "'And I'm Bruner,' began the dwarf. "'Silence!' Valak shouted at him, trembling with rage. "'I care nothing for you!' Bruner closed his mouth and entertained dreams concerning his axe and Valak's head. "'We meant no harm nor trespass,' Wolfgar began, but Valak put his hand up, cutting him short. "'Your purpose does not interest me,' he explained calmly, but his excitement resurged at once. "'Tempus has delivered you unto us, that is all.' A worthy warrior? He looked around at his own men, and their responses showed eagerness for the coming challenge. How many did you claim? He asked Wolfgar. Seven fell before me, the young barbarian replied proudly. Valak nodded in approval. Tall and strong, he commented. Let us discover if Tempus is with you. Let us judge if you are worthy to run with the sky ponies. Shouts started at once, and two warriors rushed over to unbind Wolfgar. A third, the leader of the war party who had spoken to Wolfgar at the Copse of Trees, tossed down his hatchet and shield and stormed into the ring. Drizzt waited in his tree until the last of the war party had given up the search for the rider of the fourth horse and departed. Then the drow moved quickly, gathering together some of the dropped items, the dwarf's axe and Regis's mace. He had to pause and steady himself when he found Bruner's helm, though, blood-stained and newly dented, and with one of its horns broken away. Had his friend survived? He shoved the broken helm into his sack and slipped out after the troop, keeping a cautious distance. Relief flooded through him when he came upon the camp and spotted his three friends, Bruner standing calmly between Wolfgar and Regis. Satisfied, Drizzt put aside his emotions and all thoughts of the previous encounter, narrowing his vision to the situation before him, formulating a plan of attack that would free his friends. The dark-haired man held his open hands out to Wolfgar, inviting his blonde counterpart to clasp them. Wolfgar had never seen this particular challenge before, but it was not so different from the tests of strength that his own people practiced. "'Your feet do not move,' instructed Valak. "'This is the challenge of strength. Let Tempus show us your worth.' Wolfgar's firm visage didn't reveal a hint of his confidence that he could defeat any man at such a test. He brought his hands up level with those of his opponent." The man grabbed at them angrily, snarling at the large foreigner. Almost immediately, before Wolfgar had even straightened his grip or set his feet, the shaman screamed out to begin, and the dark-haired man drove his hands forward, bending Wolfgar's back over his wrists. Shouting erupted from every corner of the encampment. The dark-haired man roared and pushed with all of his strength, but as soon as the moment of surprise had passed, Wolfgar fought back. 
The iron-corded muscles in Wolfgar's neck and shoulders snapped taut, and his huge arms reddened with the forced surge of blood into their veins. Tempus had blessed him truly. Even his mighty opponent could only gape in amazement at the spectacle of his power. Wolfgar looked him straight in the eye and matched the snarl with a determined glare that foretold the inevitable victory. Then the son of Bjornigar drove forward, stopping the black-haired man's initial momentum and forcing his own hands back into a more normal angle with his wrists. Once he had regained parity, Wolfgar realized that one sudden push would put his opponent into the same disadvantage that he had just escaped. From there, the dark-haired man would have little chance of holding on. But Wolfgar wasn't anxious to end this contest. He didn't want to humiliate this man. That would breed only an enemy, and even more importantly, he knew that Drizzt was about. The longer he could keep the contest going, the eyes of every member of the tribe fixed upon him, the longer Drizzt would have to put some plan into motion. The two men held there for many seconds, and Wolfgar couldn't help but smile when he noticed a dark shape slip in among the horses, behind the enthralled guards at the other end of the camp. Whether it was his imagination, he could not tell, but he thought that he saw two points of lavender flames staring out at him from the darkness. A few seconds more, he decided, though he knew that he was taking a chance by not finishing the challenge. The shaman could declare a draw if they held for too long. But then it was over. The veins and sinews in Wolfgar's arms bulged and his shoulders lifted even higher. Tempos, he growled, praising the god for yet another victory. And then with a sudden, ferocious explosion of power, he drove the dark-haired man to his knees. All around, the camp went silent, even the shaman being stricken speechless by the display. Two guards moved tentatively to Wolfgar's side. The beaten warrior pulled himself to his feet and stood facing Wolfgar. No hints of anger marred his face, just honest admiration, for the Sky Ponies were an honorable people. "'We would welcome you,' Valak said. "'You have defeated Torlin, son of Jeric Wolfslayer, chieftain of the Sky Ponies. Never before has Torlin been bested.' "'What of my friends?' Wolfgar asked. I care nothing for them, Valak snapped back. The dwarf will be set free on a trail leading from our land. We have no quarrel with him or his kind, nor do we desire any dealings with them. The shaman eyed Wolfgar slyly. The other is a weakling, he stated. He shall serve as your passage to the tribe, your sacrifice to the winged horse. Wolfgar did not immediately respond. They had tested his strength, and now they were testing his loyalties. The Sky Ponies had paid him their highest honor in offering him a place in their tribe, but only on condition that he show his allegiance beyond any doubt. Wolfgar thought of his own people and the way they had lived for so many centuries on the tundra. Even in this day, many of the barbarians of Icewind Dale would have accepted the terms and killed Regis, considering the life of a halfling a small price for such an honor. This was the delusionment of Wilfgar's existence with his people, the facet of their moral code that had proved unacceptable to his personal standards. No, he replied to Valak without blinking. He is a weakling, Valak reasoned. Only the strong deserve life. His fate is not mine to decide, Wolfgar replied, nor yours. Valak motioned to the two guards, and they immediately rebound Wolfgar's hands. 
A loss for our people, Torlin said to Wolfgar. You would have received a place of honor among us. Wolfgar didn't answer. Holding Torlin's stare for a long moment, sharing respect and also the mutual understanding that their codes were too different for such a joining. In a shared fantasy that could not be, both imagined fighting beside the other, felling Orc by the score and inspiring the bards to a new legend. It was time for Driz to strike. The drow had paused by the horses to view the outcome of the contest and also to better measure his enemies. He planned his attack for effect more than for damage, wanting to put on a grand show to cow a tribe of fearing warriors long enough for his friends to break free of the ring. No doubt the barbarians had heard of Dark Elves, and no doubt the tales they'd heard were terrifying. Silently, Drizzt tied the two ponies behind the horses, then mounted the horses, a foot in one stirrup on each. Rising between them, he stood tall and threw back the cowl of his cloak. The dangerous glow in his lavender eyes sparkling wildly, he bolted the mounts into the ring, scattering the stunned barbarians closest to him. Howls of rage rose up from the surprised tribesmen, the tone of the shouts shifting to one of terror when they viewed the dark skin. Torlin and Valric turned to face the oncoming menace, though even though they did not know how to deal with a legend personified. And Drizzt had a trick ready for them. With a wave of his black hand, purple flames spouted from Torlin and Valric's skin, not burning, but casting both in the superstitious tribesmen into a horrified frenzy. Torlin dropped to his knees, clasping his arms in disbelief, while the high-strung shaman dove to the ground and began rolling in the dirt. Wolfgar took his cue. Another surge of power through his arms snapped the leather bonds at his wrists. He continued the momentum of his hands, swinging them upward, catching both of the guards beside him squarely in the face and dropping them to their backs. Brunner also understood his part. He stomped heavily onto the instep of the lone barbarian standing between him and Regis, and when the man crouched to grasp his pained foot, Brunner butted him in the head. The man tumbled as easily as Whisper had back in Rat Alley in Luskin. Oh, works as well without the helmet, Brunner marveled. Only for a dwarf's head, Regis remarked as Wolfgar grabbed both of them by the back of their collars and hoisted them easily onto the ponies. He was up then too, beside Drizzt, and they charged through the other side of the camp. It had all happened too quickly for any of the barbarians to ready a weapon or form any kind of defense. Drizzt wheeled his horse behind the ponies to protect the rear. Ride! he yelled to his friends, slapping their mounts on the rump with the flat of his scimitars. The other three shouted in victory as though their escape was complete, but Drizzt knew that this had been the easy part. The dawn was fast approaching, and in this up-and-down unfamiliar terrain, the native barbarians could easily catch them. The companions charged into the silence of pre-dawn, picking the straightest and easiest path to gain as much ground as possible. Drizzt still kept an eye behind them, expecting the tribesmen to be fast on the trail. But the commotion in the camp had died away almost immediately after the escape, and the drow saw no signs of pursuit. Now, only a single call could be heard, the rhythmic singing of Valric in a tongue that none of the travelers understood. The look of dread on Wolfgar's face made all of them pause. The powers of a shaman, the barbarian explained. Back in the camp, Valric stood alone with Torlin inside the ring of his people, chanting and dancing through the ultimate ritual of his station, summoning the power of his tribe's spiritual beast. 
the appearance of the drow elf had completely unnerved the shaman. He stopped any pursuit before it even began and ran into his tent for the sacred leather satchel needed for the ritual, deciding that the spirit of the winged horse, the Pegasus, should deal with these intruders. Valric targeted Torlin as the recipient of the spirit's form, and the son of Jarek awaited the possession with stoic dignity, hating the act, for it stripped him of his identity, but resigned to absolute obedience to his shaman. From the moment it began, however, Valric knew that in his excitement he had overstepped the urgency of the summoning. Torlin shrieked and dropped to the ground, writhing in agony. A gray cloud surrounded him, its swirling vapors molding with his form, reshaping his features. His face puffed and twisted, and suddenly spurted outward into the semblance of a horse's head. His torso, as well, transmuted into something not human. Valric had meant only to impart some of the strengths of the spirit of the Pegasus in Torlin, but the entity itself had come, possessing the man wholly and bending his body into its own likeness. Torlin was consumed. In his place loomed the ghostly form of the winged horse. All in the tribe fell to their knees before it, even Valric, who could not face the image of the spiritual beast. But the Pegasus knew the shaman's thoughts and understood its children's needs. Smoke fumed from the spirit's nostrils, and it rose into the air in pursuit of the escaping intruders. The friends had settled their mounts into a more comfortable, though still swift, pace. Free of their bonds, with the dawn breaking before them and no apparent pursuit behind them, they had eased up a bit. Brunner fiddled with his helmet, trying to push the latest dent out far enough for him to get the thing back on his head. Even Wolfgar, so shaken a short time before when he had heard the chanting of the shaman, began to relax. Only Drizzt, ever wary, was not so easily convinced of their escape, and it was the drow who first sensed the approach of danger. In the dark cities, the black elves often dealt with otherworldly beings, and over the many centuries they had bred into their race a sensitivity for the magical emanations of such creatures. Drizzt stopped his horse suddenly and wheeled about. "'What do you hear?' Brunner asked him. "'I hear nothing,' Drizzt answered, his eyes darting about for some sign. "'But something is there.' Before they could respond, the gray cloud rushed down from the sky and was upon them. Their horses bucked and reared in uncontrollable terror, and in the confusion none of the friends could sort out what was happening. The Pegasus then formed right in front of Regis, and the halfling fell a deathly chill penetrating his bones. He screamed and dropped from his mount. Brunner, riding beside Regis, charged the ghost form fearlessly, but his descending axe found only a cloud of smoke where the apparition had been. Then, just as suddenly, the ghost was back, and Brunner too felt the icy cold of its touch. Tougher than the halfling, he managed to hold to his pony. What?! He cried out vainly to Drizzt and Wolfgar. Aegis Fang whistled past him and continued on at the target, but the Pegasus was only smoke again and the magical warhammer passed unhindered through the swirling cloud. In an instant, the spirit was back, swooping down upon Brunner. The dwarf's pony spun down to the ground in a frantic effort to scramble away from the thing. You cannot hit it! Drizzt called after Wolfgar, who went rushing to the dwarf's aid. It does not exist fully on this plane! Wolfgar's mighty legs locked his terrified horse straight as he struck as soon as Aegis Fang returned to his hands. But again he found only smoke before his blow. Then how? he yelled to Drizzt, his eyes darting around the spot the first signs of the reforming spirit. Drizzt searched his mind for answers. 
Regis was still down, lying pale and unmoving on the field, and Bruner, though he had not been too badly injured in his pony's fall, appeared dazed and shivering from the chill of unearthly cold. Driz grasped at the desperate plan. He pulled the Ankh statue of the panther from his pouch and yelled for Gwenhyver. The ghost returned, attacking with renewed fury. It descended upon Bruner first, mantling the dwarf with its cold wings. "'Damn ye! Back to the abyss!' Bruner roared in brave defiance. Rushing in, Wolfgar lost all sight of the dwarf except for the head of his axe bursting harmlessly through the smoke. Then the barbarian's mount halted in its tracks, refusing against all efforts to move any closer to the unnatural beast. Wolfgar leaped from his saddle and charged in, crashing right through the cloud before the ghost could reform, his momentum carrying both of him and Bruner out the other side of the smoky mantle. They rolled away and looked back only to find the ghost had disappeared altogether again. Bruner's eyelids drooped heavily and his skin held a ghastly hue of blue, and for the first time in his life, his indomitable spirit had no gumption for the fight. Wolfgar, too, had suffered the icy touch in his pass through the ghost, but he was still more than ready for another round with the thing. "'We can't fight it!' Bruner gasped through his chattering teeth. "'Here's for a strike it is, but gone when we get back!' Wolfgar shook his head defiantly. "'There is a way!' he demanded, though he had to concede the dwarf's point. "'But my hammer cannot destroy clouds!' Gwenhyver appeared beside her master and crouched low, seeking the nemesis that threatened the drow. Drizzt understood the cat's intentions. "'No,' he commanded. "'Not here.' The drow had recalled something that Gwenhyver had done several months earlier. To save Regis from the falling stone of a crumbling tower, Gwenhyver had taken the halfling on a journey through the plains of existence. Drizzt grabbed onto the panther's neck. "'Take me to the land of the ghosts,' he instructed. "'To its own plane, where my weapons will bite deeply into its substantial being.' The ghost appeared again as Drizzt and the cat faded into their own cloud. "'Keep swinging!' Bruner told his companion. Keep it as smoke, so it can't get at ya. Drizzt and the cat have gone, Wolfgar cried. To the land of the ghost, Bruner explained. It took Drizzt a long moment to set his bearings. He had come into a place of different realities, a dimension where everything, even his own skin, assumed the same hue of grey, objects being distinguishable only by a thin waver of black that outlined them. His depth perception was useless, for there were no shadings and no discernible light sources to use as a guide, and he found no footing, nothing tangible beneath him, nor could he even know which way was up or down. Such concepts didn't seem to fit here. He did make out the shifting outlines of the Pegasus as it jumped between planes, never fully in one plane or the other. He tried to approach it and found propulsion to be an act of the mind, his body automatically following the instructions of his will. He stopped before the shifting lines, his magical scimitar poised to strike when the target fully appeared. Then the outline of the pegasus was complete, and Drizzt plunged his blade into the black waver that marked its form. The line shifted and bent, and the outline of the scimitar shivered as well, for here even the properties of the steel blade took on a different composition. But the steel proved the stronger, and the scimitar resumed its curved edge and punctured the line of the ghost. There came a sudden tingling in the grayness, as though Drizzt cut had disturbed the equilibrium of the plane, and the ghost's line trembled in a shiver of agony. Wolfgar saw the smoke cloud puff suddenly, almost reforming into the ghost shape. Drizzt, he called out to Brunner. 
He has met the ghost on even terms. Get ready, then, Bruner replied anxiously, though he knew that his part in the fight had ended. The drow might bring it back to you long enough for a hit. Bruner clutched at his sides, trying to hug the deathly cold out of his bones, and stumbled over to the halfling's unmoving form. The ghost turned on Drizzt, but the scimitar struck again, and Gwenhyber jumped into the fray, the cat's great claws tearing into the black outline of her enemy. The pegasus reeled away from them, understanding that it held no advantage against foes on its own plane. Its only recourse was to retreat back to the material plane, where Wolfgar waited. As soon as the cloud resumed its shape, Aegis Fang hammered into it. Wolfgar felt a solid strike for just a moment, and knew that he had hit his mark. Then the smoke blew away before him. The ghost was back with Drizzt and Gwenhyver, again facing their relentless stabs and rakes. It shifted back again, and Wolfgar struck quickly. Trapped with no retreat, the ghost took hits from both planes. Every time it materialized before Drizzt, the drown noted that its outline came thinner and less resistant to his thrusts. And every time the cloud reformed before Wolfgar, its density had diminished. The friends had won, and Drizzt watched in satisfaction as the essence of the Pegasus slipped free of the material form and floated away through the grayness. "'Take me home,' the weary drow instructed Gwenhyber. A moment later, he was back on the field beside Bruner and Regis. "'You live,' Bruner stated flatly at Drizzt's inquiring look. "'More to faintin' than to die and be me guess.' A short distance away, Wolfgar too was hunched over a form, broken and twisted, and caught in a transformation somewhere between man and beast. Torlin, son of Jerick, Wolfgar explained. He lifted his gaze back toward the barbarian camp. Valric has done this. The blood of Torlin soils his hands. Torlin's own choice, perhaps, Drizzt offered. Never, Wolfgar insisted. When we met in challenge, my eyes looked upon his honor. He was a warrior. He would never have allowed this. He stepped away from the corpse, letting its mutilated remains emphasize the horror of the possession. In the frozen pose of death, Torland's face had retained half the features of a man and half of the equine ghost. He was the son of their chieftain, Wolfgar explained. He could not refuse the demands of the shaman. He was brave to accept such a fate, Drizzt remarked. Son of their chieftain, snorted Bruner. Seems we've put even more enemies on the road behind us. They'll be looking to settle this score. As will I, Wolfgar proclaimed. His blood is yours to carry, Valric High Eye, he shouted into the distance, his calls echoing around the mounds of the crags. Wolfgar looked back to his friends, rage seething in his features as he declared grimly, I shall avenge Torlin's dishonor. Bruner nodded his approval at the barbarian's dedication to his principles. An honorable task. Drizzt agreed, holding his blade out to the east towards Longsaddle, the next step along their journey. But one for another day. <laughs>